1: Welcome back to the Secular Sexuality Podcast. This week, we have a treat, an interview with John, a 28-year-old male who's been an atheist for the last 10 years, since he was 18 years old. I've never met John before I met him at a recent conference and asked him if he would like to talk to me about his story. I think he's got a very interesting story, and some really key things came out in his interview with me. So I'd like you to note these as you listen to him. First of all, he talks about a guilt and pleasure cycle around his masturbatory activities when he was a teenager. And then he moves on to talk about problems he's had in relationships over the years related to... Uh, his Catholic upbringing, and the Madonna-whore syndrome. Uh, the Madonna-whore syndrome. And then he talks a bit about his shoulds and what he thinks women should and shouldn't do and how crazy he knows that those ideas are. But he still, they still affect him. If you've been listening to our podcast in previous previous sessions, you will know we've already talked about the tyranny of the shoulds and how these Beliefs get in the way of good sexual expression. So stay tuned to Secular Sexuality. We'll be right back after this.
2: I'm very proud to announce that Dogma Debate LLC has officially published The God Virus on audio. Dr. Daryl Ray is one of the most talented and influential atheist writers and speakers of this movement. And it's my pleasure to offer his book, The God Virus, How Religion Infects Our Lives and Culture, as an audiobook through Audible.com and iTunes. Here's a sample of what you'll miss if you don't get your copy.
1: Every day, religion affects us in ways we may not realize. It makes your Uncle Ned spend hours praying for you. It gives your Baptist neighbor a reason to reject her own child who married a Catholic. It teaches your Pentecostal sister to spank her children to keep them from going to hell. It requires a Catholic priest to deny his sex drive and causes you to avoid talking to your cousin Jenny for fear she may try to convert you to Jehovah's Witnesses. This book explores the impact of religion on you and your world. Have you ever wondered what makes religion so powerful? What makes people profess deep faith even as they act in ways that betray that faith? What makes people blind to the irrationalities of their own religion, yet see clearly the problems of other religions? How does it weave its way into our political system? If these and similar questions interest you, this book will help you understand its power in you, your family, and your culture. So we're here today with John, and he's agreed to talk with us a little bit about the intersection of of his sexuality and development and religion in his life and how that impacted you so thanks for thanks for joining us now. yeah thanks for having me I'm looking forward to this so let, let's just begin by giving us a little bit of your background like what kind of what part of the country were you raised in what kind of religion were you raised with um, And anything, anything like that and and you know how
3: how did you see that early on with your sexual development okay. the, the lessons yeah you know? um well I grew up in the South. Uh, I was Catholic. Uh, for the first 18 years of my life, I was Catholic. Uh, honestly, growing up, I, sex was just a really taboo thing in my house and around church. Uh, it it, do, it wasn't really talked about. It was something that both my parents just seemed kind of shy to even broach the subject. I didn't even get a birds and the bees talk. I got it from a friend on my freshman year in high school when I pretty much already knew everything anyway. So it was it was pretty wild. It was just it was just a taboo in and of itself. So uh, it was a very sheltered upbringing in terms of sex. So
1: till you're 18?
3: Yeah. Well, I was Catholic till I was 18. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was really my freshman year before I even there was that talk and it was from a friend it wasn't from my parents so
1: what were some of the ideas and messages that you got from the church about you about sexual sexuality
3: um actually i was a virgin until the very end of my freshman year at college uh and all the way through high school i was waiting for marriage because that was the message of the church was to wait for marriage Uh, and there was a a big stigma attached to church too and same thing in my church environment was something that People didn't talk about it in a positive way. It was either they were going to talk about how big of a sin it was, or there was no talk about it at all. Oh, so, right. uh, and a lot of the things that I, I feel that really shaped shaped me, and I, I, I honestly sloughed, sloughed off most of this. Most of the is is a non-issue now. The only thing that really remains to me is, uh, in some ways, my view of like female sexuality. Uh, the idea that that women uh, really seek out and enjoy sex is something that I've experienced personally, but it's something that I still can't bring my, my mind around to be okay with accepting, I guess, if that makes sense. So uh-huh.
1: how old are you now?
3: I am 28 now.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. So do you, you think you, is, do you think you still have kind of the Madonna horror um, paradigm in your head from the Catholic training?
3: Actually? Yeah. Um, I would say that I do. And, and it's, it's, Really weird how it's separated in my head because you know through my experiences in reality I know that that's pretty much a load of shit and but through my upbringing it still impacts some of the ways I think about women so yeah right. um which is it's a it's a weird dynamic to have going on in my head because it's almost like the Madonna whore is is the way I view it on a broad level but then when I meet individual women I'm totally comfortable and you know and go with expressing it so it's a weird dynamic so.
1: yes it really is. Mm-hmm. I don't know religion really puts those kind of crazy ideas in her head and then right. try to get them out yeah exactly you know, or so. integrate them in a way that's positive <laughs> rather mm-hmm. than destructive right uh, go back a little bit uh, tell me a little bit about your uh when did you first start masturbating what kind of things turned you on or stimulated mm-hmm. you at that point in time
3: oh that one's a I'd say the first time I actually masturbated, I was in, I want to say sixth or seventh grade. I can't remember which one it was. Mm -hmm. And it was almost just by accident. I was kind of playing with myself and like, what the hell, you know? (laughs) I mean, I knew it was supposed to happen. I just never experienced it before. And it wasn't really the goal. It just happened. And then from then on, I just kept doing it because, you know, it felt good. So uh, so that was the first time um, I ever masturbated. And honestly, I can't say that there was anything more than just like physical stimulation that was going on at at that point. So... Mm -hmm.
1: What what messages did you get about masturbating in your environment?
3: Um, same thing. Very very little. It wasn't something that was really talked about, and when it was, it was kind of like a sin. Mm -hmm. It it wasn't. I think, and I I can't speak for Catholicism as a whole, but in my church, there was a lot of things that people were okay with that the church disagreed with, and like birth control is is a very good example. Like, you know, most people in my church were good with birth control, used it, but you know the church obviously is opposed to it. So there's a lot of things like that too. So you know people are masturbating and they're doing these things even though it's something that the church is officially opposed to. So it's not something that people talk about publicly except to push right. the church's agenda because yeah. it's, I think it's, it's something where a lot of people are afraid to say something that might be against what the church right. thinks. So,
1: did, What kind of feelings did you have <clears throat> with, around masturbation during your teens?
3: You know, honestly, it it, it that was we went It, it, it kind of went up and down. There were times where I would feel guilty about it, like it was wrong, and then there were other times where I'd just be totally okay with it. Like it was almost, it was kind of like it was kind of like binge masturbating, I guess would the would be the way to put it. Like uh, there would be like a couple weeks. where it was like every day, like a few times, and then I would feel really guilty about it and not do it for a week or two, and then all of a sudden it was just kind of like a. Yeah, it is really weird, so. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. So. so you
1: would literally not masturbate for a week or two. Yeah, cuz
3: I felt bad about it. And and then it would come back on and i was just like, okay. Yeah, okay. So and it, then
1: you'd masturbate frantically or a lot. Yes. For yeah, like pretty much. A week or two.
3: Right. And so it was kind, of, it, was kind of a, a, a between, it was kind of a a mix between kind of a mix between pleasure and guilt.
1: How did you get over that
3: guilt? It left with religion. It, it, it really did. Like when I went off to college and I started uh, maturing sexually, and even in high school, later high school, I was actually over it even, you know, as I started getting over religion, it, it kind of just went along with it because I realized that that was kind of the impediment there. And actually a lot of my sexual impediments or a lot of my feelings or negative feelings or guilt feelings about sex disappeared when I left the church. Okay. And so luckily those are not things that I, I have anymore. So you know, like I said, the only remnant I still feel like I have is that, you know, Madonna whore general complex with women so that's the yeah
1: so how do you identify now in terms of religion
3: i'm an atheist okay uh uh, the past 10 years the most of the time i was agnostic and it's been probably the past six or seven months i've really um it actually it's funny because when i left the church i didn't really look into it i just kind of put the whole thing on the back burner and assumed i I just went with agnostic and just didn't worry about it and the Mm -hmm. south people don't really talk about not being religious so it's just something i just was and just didn't worry about. And then more recently, uh, really since I've moved here, I've uh, been doing a lot of studying into things like science and those kinds of things. I'm really, that's pushed me more into into being an atheist, so. Uh,
1: okay, okay. John, if you were to, if you were to go back in time and look at yourself as you were developing, where was the time in your life where you seemed to have the most conflict, the most struggle with your sexuality? and And what, what were the roots of that struggle?
3: Actually, it was, it was honestly right at the beginning of when I was experiencing it. You know, through middle school and early high school, I would say, it was really when I had the most conflict with it. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, knowing in my head that, that religion is a problem, I would honestly would go back in time and just ask myself some questions that would put that seed of doubt in my head to where I would start figuring it out for myself because yeah. I didn't start asking myself those questions until right before I graduated high school. You know, you reach that time where you ask those questions that don't have answers, and you just kind of keep going, and it builds. So, um, okay. that's something I wish I would have gone through earlier. So.
1: so, if you were to go back in time and give yourself some advice, when would you go back, and what would you tell tell yourself? What age would you be?
3: Hmm. Let's. See. I would say. Actually, that's a good – 7th, 8th grade would be a great range because I was still in that in that era where peer pressure was a huge deal and everyone was in church and that was the whole thing and it was something I had never even thought about questioning. That would be the time I would like to go back to. Yeah. And like I said, just really ask questions that plants it. I'm that I'm the kind of person I've got to figure everything out for myself. So if I, if I saw myself come back and say, hey, be an atheist, I wouldn't listen to me. I know, <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, so I would have to do it with – you know, some questions like really think about the Bible here, you know, and, and ask specific questions about Bible stories and how they really relate to the real world and those kinds of things to where that thought process would start. So that is what I would do. Oh, okay. And, and I, I think earlier than that age, I don't know if I had the cognitive ability to to figure it out for myself, honestly, in right. my environment. So yeah. um,
1: talk about your, your early first early sexual experiences. Okay. And And, you know, how did that how did you do that? What kind of issues did you have to face as as a result of that? I mean, the guilt, for example, or or not? I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth.
3: I was very lucky there, no guilt. Um, the first time I had sex, like I said, was at the very end of my uh, freshman year of college, and uh, I'd actually this is I, I still I, was, I guess I was really nervous about having sex, but I had passed up like quite a few sexual opportunities that year. Um, I, I either, I don't know why, I don't, if I wasn't comfortable with them or what, what the whole explanation was. I mean, um, but actually I ended up having sex with my best friend uh, at the end of uh, freshman year. Um, and that was a comfortable situation for me to lose my virginity to her. And so, and it was something that I don't have any regrets about at all or they didn't feel guilt about. Uh-huh. And, and then after that, it was just, you know, I, I think you have sex the first time and you're like, wow, that wasn't as big of a deal as I made it out to be. And then from then on, it just... Okay. Went for it, so. Excellent. Yeah. So
1: so getting rid of the religion at that age mm-hmm. really allowed you to just go go for it. Sure, the, yeah. The field. So many people say at at that
3: age that I was just overwhelmed with guilt, for sure. example. Yeah.
1: But they're still religious at that age. Mm-hmm. You weren't, or you were on the way out.
3: And you yeah. Oh, by you that know. time I was out. My freshman year out. in college, I was totally out. I was out before I even made it into college. It was that summer that okay. I just really okay. disconnected from it, so.
1: Well, let's go back and explore the Madonna whore thing then. Okay. Because that is, and and I'll tell you this, I've, um, from years of working with people, Mm -hmm. I've found Catholic men literally suffer Mm -hmm. from this notion. Right. Protestant men don't suffer from it near as much. Right. And I'd like to explore that because so many of the listeners out there are probably going to say, oh, yeah, I've had that too. Sure. What is it? How does it interfere with your ability to have good... Positive, strong relationships with women who are sexually aggressive or sexually very open right. about it,
3: and that and that that's a, a whole weird dynamic for me. And I think it really actually screws up my personal life. Uh, and the reason I say that is because I actually really like sexually aggressive, strong women. Like, that's what I'm attracted to. But at the same time, when you run into women like that and you have that Madonna whore complex, you automatically, in a lot of cases, just write them off. So it's it's like the very thing that, I, you know, the very person that I want to be with is the very same thing that I have this weird complex in my head about. So it's very, it's, it's a strange dynamic. And it, it's so weird because I can I can look at my experiences in life and know that the whole Madonna Horror Complex thing is just total bullshit, and it's totally not fair to anyone that I ever meet or anyone that I try to have a relationship with. And I know that, but at the same time, it's still pervasive, and it's still there, and I can't get rid of it. And that's what's frustrating about it for me. So, mm-hmm. You
1: can't get rid of it, or you haven't gotten rid of it.
3: I hope it's that I haven't gotten rid of it because I trust me, I have been trying for a long time because I've known it's a problem for a long yeah. time. I know that that's my biggest holdback with, with actually just being happy with women, honestly. So, and not that I'm unhappy with women, I, I but that that tends to, you know, when I have yeah. a longer term, even even a month or two relationship with, with someone, it, it tends to. It, it,
1: let's, it let's define it. What is Madonna whore complex? I know. Yeah. But let's yeah. get deeper. What is the Madonna whore complex to you? It's not the same for everybody. What are the beliefs, the ideas that comprise that complex?
3: I think it's the, uh, it's how how quick sex happens. Honestly, um, like I'll give, I was I was actually uh, engaged, and I was with the girl for six years. It was eight months into our relationship before we had sex. She was a virgin, and um, and she it just took her a while to to come terms with it in her head, and and. Honestly, I think that that made her the the Madonna, you know. So, mm-hmm. and in most of my relationships, honestly, these days, it's like first date we're having sex, and so it's it's hard for me to look at that look at that woman and say, oh, well, she's relationship material. It's it's so weird. Like it just mm-hmm. even if she is, it's still it still blocks that in my head for some reason, and it's. Mm-hmm. It's strange because I because
1: if somebody would be slutty enough to get in bed with you the first time, right. then I can't possibly have a long term relationship, right. with
3: right? And it's funny because when you say it that way, it's really a negative feeling that I have about myself, <laughs> you know. That, and it's crazy to think about it like that, but that, that's really what the what the case is. It really yeah. is on on me on that, and it's, it just sucks honestly because I've I have dated some really really good women that I uh, feel like I you know could have had um, a relationship with or a good relationship with. And I've been I'm used to one that breaks it off and ends it because of this. And it's just a weird, weird yeah. thing. So
1: Because of your own beliefs that women who are easy or too fast get in bed are somehow less less desirable or less uh, right less uh prospect for a long term mm mm-hmm. That's really a, that's interesting, yeah. yeah, I don't know that Protestant men have got that as much as men. Sure. now they do, I'm not saying they don't, but yeah. I've just seen this and heard this so much from Catholic men that were raised in the Catholic right. tradition
3: and, and and I just know it's totally unfair too, because I'm pretty easy, honestly, you know you are I'm a, I'm a guy, and I'll jump into bed, you know, I'll go on yeah, a date and you know, oh, right. she's cute, and I'll jump into bed, and, yeah. and it's so unfair of me to judge someone like that and yeah. I, and I don't mean to, and it's just almost like I can't help it, and it, it just uh-huh. it makes me so mad, so.
1: Right. The double standard, you're you're clearly aware of the double
3: standard. I am clearly aware of it, and okay. I clearly think that it's wrong and unfair, uh, and it's just so strange because it still permeates. It, it, it's just a weird thing. So. Let me
1: ask a, a question here. Okay. Have you ever, after having gotten in bed with a woman, sat down, or been in bed with her for enough times to trust the conversation, have you ever openly talked to her and expressed your, these ideas of Madonna whore and...
3: Uh, no. And that's funny. And, um, I have with, uh, with ex-girlfriends at times kind of, you know, cause sometimes it's, it's, there's always talk about, oh, why did you leave me? I thought things were going so good. And then it's kind of a, you know, it kind of comes around that way, but no, not actually while I was in, in a relationship with someone. So, you know, the six year one, I didn't have to talk about it cause it, it was pretty irrelevant in that case, right. but these other ones, no, I just never... I just know I just kind of went with the way I felt and the way I felt was like oh well this can't work out so that was the
1: interesting. Mm-hmm. So you had hidden beliefs that you weren't willing to share with this person that interfered with the religion relationship itself.
3: Yes and I know that's horrible.
1: And it comes directly from your religious training.
3: Yes. Yeah,
1: I mean, where does Madonna whore concept come from? Catholicism.
3: Oh, it totally does. It. Yeah, it, it yeah. permeates. Yeah, Catholic belief. It really does. Right, right. I mean, you can look at Mary Magdalene or any. There's so many examples. You know, right. Through the Catholic Church, that just really. What
1: would happen if you talked to a current lover about you're examining your own beliefs in a way that you're you're not putting anything on them? You're looking. I've got this belief. What would happen?
3: You know, this is going to be a. If I haven't had sex with you, right, it would make me really nervous that you know she would delay sex, which would suck. But <laughs> <laughs> I know that sounds really horrible, and it probably is. Uh, with someone I'm already having sex with, honestly, it's just something that's never crossed my mind to talk about. As weird as that sounds, mm-hmm. um, because generally, like I said, I just I reach a point where I'm just I feel like okay, I got to get out of this, and, and I don't know what the cause of it is, but I got that, and I just have the feeling I just I just that I'm not you know I'm not feeling it anymore, and it's time to move on, and that's the way. The way it comes around more than just a, a, an extended philosophical conversation about me, maybe I'm afraid to talk to people about that that I'm with you know that that could very well be the case so.
1: interesting idea yeah. mm-hmm. uh, the listeners to the podcast will know that I've talked about this very thing on a number of previous podcasts. One of this is religious belief structures that we go into <laughs> relationships with, but we're not willing to reveal or or they are so deeply embedded, we're unconscious. They're unconscious. They, we don't know they're there. And what I'm seeing here is that, at some level, you know they're there. Yes. But you haven't brought them up to a conscious level. Sure. To be able to express them. Right. In a way that's non-judgmental of her. Right. Because y- you want to explore this without judging the other person. Sure. Because
3: it's totally my it's totally my problem. So. It, exactly. Right. It's yeah. totally your problem. Mm-hmm.
1: And understanding the deep religious belief structure that's in your own brain mm-hmm. will help you create wonderful communications with other human beings who happen to be female, in case of right, sure. your case. Yeah. And you're going to learn a hell of a lot about yourself. Right. I guarantee you will. Yeah, John, you, yeah. you've got just you got all the tools. <laughs> you got the concepts. You got the beliefs. You understand they're there. And yeah. Now you just have to put it all together yeah. with a real human being. Because it's my observation. That we cannot get over this shit mm-hmm. unless we talk to other people about it. That that and they are there to force us to listen to our own yeah. words. Yeah, and that's
3: it's a very helpful thing to think about, actually. So, yeah.
1: well, it's intriguing to me. I don't yes. know if you'll ever
3: do it, but <laughs> and, and to me, no, I I, I actually will because I I think that's something I could be comfortable with. Is just something I never really thought too much about. Um, and the strange thing with this is, is that you know I I have this, but. When it actually comes to expressing myself sexually, I'm totally comfortable with it. Like I'm totally comfortable with my body and her body and how the whole thing works and even doing some depraved stuff at times and right, right. and just totally comfortable and, and don't feel the least amount of guilt about it. And so it's really strange that there is this dynamic. So it's, yeah, right. it's a weird thing to, to reconcile myself with. So.
1: Well, the great thing is it's a dynamic you realize exists in your own head. Right. And you created it. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, you continue to create it. Sure. It's it's a, it's an ongoing thing because you almost have to reinforce this shit for it to stay. Right. Yeah. And so somehow you get involved with a woman, she gets in bed with you too early, and that brings the reinforcement up. you right. But you don't tell anybody, you don't talk about it, so that allows it to kill the relationship. It kind sure. of like is a poison.
2: Yeah. It
1: really is. And it starts with a day the minute you get in bed. Mm-hmm. So the, the death of the relationship is is. Developed in the minute you st- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it slowly poisons it.
3: I like this conversation because all this is stuff I just never really thought all the way through. Um, so it's really good to think about it, actually, because it is very relevant and it's definitely stuff that I should be considering. So, yeah, this has already been very helpful for me. So,
2: okay.
3: yeah.
1: Well, that concludes our interview with John. We'll be back with more secular sexuality in just a moment. from Atheist Universe by David Mills.
0: Are
2: we to believe that man's work week was 6 eons long rather than 6 literal days long before God permitted man a day of rest for the Sabbath? A non-literal interpretation of these passages is thoroughly dishonest and wholly disingenuous. Scholars additionally pointed out that in the original Hebrew text of Genesis, the word day is yom, which when used with an ordinal, e.g. first day, second day, third day, refers invariably to a literal 24-hour period throughout the entire Bible. So there was never any doubt voiced or even contemplated that day didn't mean day in the book of Genesis. Even Henry Morris and other creation science champions reaffirmed completely their belief that Genesis was literally true. Not so for the ID followers. They reject Genesis as being literally true, but can't seem to bring themselves to say that Genesis is literally false. They are torn schizophrenically between their emotional dependence on the local religion, and their embarrassment at having to accept the serpent in the garden along with their Savior on the cross. The I.D. cultists want to be countered among the religious faithful, but long to be perceived as science-minded as well. I.D. evangelists are embarrassed by the content of their own Bible. Despite innumerable biblical references to the devil, I.D.'s preachers never use the term publicly because they are ashamed of it. Despite chapter after morbid chapter in the Bible describing a literal, fiery hell for non-Christians, I.D. never mentions the lake of fire because hell and the devil conflict with I.D.'s highest goal, to appear rational and urbane.
1: Atheist Universe by David Mills is available at atheistaudiobooks.com. Welcome back. First of all, I want to say thank you to John for taking the time to talk to us. It takes a lot of courage to sit down with a total stranger and uh, pour your heart out, exploring some pretty tough issues. So as we think about this talk with John, I want you to consider what were his self-defeating thoughts and how did those self-defeating thoughts lead to self-defeating behavior that undermined his ability to have long-term, gratifying, supportive relationships with women. And You'll notice, as he explored this, how much, how deeply the notions were based on his earlier religious training, specifically the Madonna-whore notion. That is, if anything, the quintessential Catholic sexual concept is Madonna whore and he he could identify how it was undermining and interfering with his own happiness I think John will probably go out and do some exploration maybe talk with other people about this but until he gets a handle on this notion that certain female behavior is unacceptable and doesn't lead to relationships he's probably going to continue to have difficulty developing healthy adult sexual relationships with women. And I I don't think we can get by with having these hidden beliefs in in ourselves and still expect to have healthy relationships with other people. Until those beliefs are fully explored and expressed and then dealt with, Uh, disputed, if you will, and challenged and eradicated from our system of thinking, we're probably not going to be too successful. In this case, it's easy to see how his beliefs were embedded in the very beginning of their relationship. The seeds of the relationship's destruction were there the minute he got in bed with uh, with his female partner. And we see this in a lot of relationships – The seeds of relationship failure are embedded in the hidden beliefs that nobody wants to talk about. And I don't mean in just people who have short relationships, two and three months. I mean people who've been married for 50 years. Yes, 50-year-old marriages can be utter failures. Just because people are together doesn't mean they're happy, that they're thriving, that they're learning and growing. And those hidden beliefs can actually stop people from enjoying one another and being the best they can be within the relationship. Closely tied to this concept is something that we've talked about in earlier episodes of our podcast, and that is the tyranny of the shoulds. That a person holds certain shoulds, oughts, musts, needs, have-tos in their head that are irrational. Most shoulds are irrational. In this case, he holds the should in his head, that a woman should not have sex too soon. Of course, he's the person who defines too soon, and if, which takes agency away from the woman and makes him the judge of all of femininity, if you will. If a woman likes sex too much or even likes it more than he does, then they are condemned as the whore in his Madonna whore framework uh, from, that comes from his religiosity. Now, I want to give John credit because he certainly came out and explored this, was honest with us. What he hasn't done is be honest with the partners that he has cut off, that he's stopped seeing. And he hasn't taken ownership for his beliefs around this. So here he has a series of women who thought things were going well with him, and suddenly it stops. And they have no clue. Did they do something wrong? Well, in this case... As he, by his own admission, says, it was in his own head. It was him that had the problem. Unfortunately, he leaves these women, his former partners, in the air because he's not honest enough to take ownership for this. And that would be my message. We have to learn how to be honest with ourselves and then be honest with our partners. Yes, it's troubling. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, John's going to maybe lose a partner or two talking about this, but until he gets a grip on it, he's not going to be able to be uh, fully healthy in a sexual relationship with a partner in the in the near future. I think he's well on the way, and I hope he continues to make ask these questions. I hope he continues and, and actually finds an avenue to talk with a, an, one of his partners about this and take ownership for it. This, this kind of hidden agenda, this kind of hidden beliefs, leaves a trail of, of harm and hurt. If you think about it, each one of these women has been hurt, and she doesn't even know why. And yet, he admits it wasn't the woman that was the problem, it was him. In becoming more honest with himself, he'll be able to get over this, he'll stop hurting other people, But more importantly, he'll stop hurting himself because he sees how this is interfering with his happiness. And that's the underlying lesson for this particular interview. I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you'll listen to it again if you need to. And I hope you'll share this with other people. Thank you for listening to the Secular Sexuality Podcast. And as always, I encourage you to have some fun today. Give yourself an orgasm or give someone else an orgasm. The Secular Sexuality
2: Podcast, hosted by Dr. Daryl Ray, is produced and published by Dogma Debate, LLC, in association with Secular Media Group. Brought to you by AtheistAudiobooks.com. Learn more at dogmadebate.com slash secular sexuality.